Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. In a recent judgment, our short and the Police Misconduct Tribunal and the Chief Constable of Bedfordshire Police, the court clearly affirmed that misconduct hearing panels are able to put irrelevant and prejudicial matters out of their minds rather than having to recuse themselves. And just like in civil courts and tribunals, they're able to determine their own procedures. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors, and with me again is Elizabeth Fox of Sergeants in Chambers. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You you were actually the junior counsel for the chief constable in this matter. I was, yeah. So you're perfectly placed to tell us the facts of this case. That I am. Yeah, so this case, it's a bit of a funny one. It was a police misconduct hearing which was due to begin in February 2020, but it was pertaining to the very unfortunate death of an individual which occurred back in November 2013. So the misconduct proceedings um, were not due to begin for six years following the death of the individual, which is obviously a very long time. So in terms of the original event which led to these proceedings, it was an individual who was restrained on the street and he was then transferred into police custody. There was a question about whether or not he should have been conveyed to a hospital because he was originally detained under Section 136 of the Mental Health Act. But that's a side point. In any event, he was taken to police custody and he was restrained there as well. But whilst he was in custody, he became unresponsive. And at that point, he was conveyed to the local hospital and passed away there. So what was then the IPCC investigated the matter and they're obviously now the IOPC and they directed the Bedfordshire police to bring the gross misconduct proceedings. And it was against six officers. So from memory, I think three of them were at the scene when the individual was first detained. And then there were further three officers who were involved in the conveying him into police custody. Right. Prior to the, the commencement of the misconduct proceedings, uh, counsel for all six of the officers, I think, they sought recusal of the legally qualified chair. And then the entire panel, actually. Yes. So all of this happened very close to the time that the misconduct proceedings were due to begin, which had various impacts, which I'll, I'll come to in a bit. But essentially, the counsel for the six officers brought an application on the basis that the legally qualified chair or the LQC, as they're referred to often, had read some irrelevant documents. And counsel for the six officers argued that that gave rise to a real prejudice. And essentially, a fair-minded and informed observer would conclude there was a real possibility of bias. One of the other issues that came up was that the LQC had ordered that the application should be determined on the papers, so rather than a full hearing about it. And it was determined on the papers and the panel, so the full panel, dismissed that application, which is where the, the full panel got kind of roped into the, the whole application. Right. 
But the officers, they weren't prepared to accept the decision of the legally qualified chair and the panel not to recuse themselves. So they sought judicial review uh, relief against the decision. Yes. Yep. They sought injunctive relief to stay the proceedings until the resolution of that. How, how did the High Court approach the decision? Yes, so that's absolutely right. That's that's what happened. And essentially the court, so initially the court heard the urgent application on the basis, I, I believe it was a kind of ex parte application, and they granted a short stay to allow the judicial review proceedings to commence, which is why, as I was saying, it, it was quite close to the time that the misconduct proceedings were supposed to start. So I believe, again, from memory, I believe the application was made on the Friday night. The misconduct proceedings were supposed to start on the Monday. And essentially, the, the misconduct proceedings obviously couldn't start on the Monday because we all had to go in for judicial review. <laughs> so you had a nice weekend. <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit of a, bit of a busy weekend. But Essentially, what the court did, it was um, Mr. Justice Saney in this case. And what he did was um, direct a, a rolled up hearing. So he was considering both permission and the kind of substantive merits of the case. And what he did on the permission front was essentially he determined that the police appeals tribunal, which will hear essentially any appeals from misconduct proceedings once those proceedings are concluded, that appeals tribunal is an available statutory appeal procedure. And because of its existence, that then defeated the application before the court because what Mr. Sassani said was, well, there's a suitable alternative remedy and essentially you should, you should go down that route rather than coming to the judicial review route. And I think he actually said specifically that the availability of a statutory appeal process was fatal to the claimant's claim in this case. So key issue for the court to consider in such an application is, is the issue of bias and in particular the, the appearance of bias. There's a balancing act to strike there. What was the judge's view? In a nutshell, he was quite firmly of the view that there was not an appearance of bias in this case. In fact, he went so far as to say that the claimant's case taken at its highest was not even arguable. So that's a fairly scathing decision. <laughs> <laughs> obviously not biased here, but um, the judge said that there were several reasons to support that conclusion. So first, the judge referred to some case law that had been um, obviously raised and, and considered in the course of the proceedings. And that was, I think, Mafuz and Supermanian. We'll look those up. <laughs> but those cases basically say that a professional panel is well capable of putting irrelevant or prejudicial matters out of their mind. And essentially what the judge was saying was that applies here as well. So in this instance, the panel consisted of a legally qualified chair, so obviously someone with legal qualifications, a retired magistrate, so clearly someone who had significant experience of, of the law, as well as a senior police officer. And he said that all of those individuals were well-placed to identify and ignore irrelevant and inadmissible material. And that's a really key point because it's not saying that it's just the LQC or the legally qualified chair who can put prejudicial material out of his or her mind. It's the entire panel. And that was supported even on the claimant's highest case. So essentially, even if the entire panel had read all of the controversial documents and all of those documents were capable of giving rise to prejudice. The judge said that they still 
would be well placed to put that material out of their mind and that they could continue with the proceedings. In fact, that that wasn't the the circumstances in this case. It was actually just the chair who read some of the documents in question and there were arguments over whether or not those actually could give rise to prejudice. But really the point was, even at its worst, the panel can, can put that type of issue out of their mind. I mean, you gave the example of a magistrate on the panel. It's not uncommon in the magistrate's court, for example, for a bench to hear an argument about bad character and then to be able to try the case, even if they've ruled against them, that being admitted. Exactly. So it's not that different. The High Court's really saying, look, if you're going to make an application along these lines, it better be a good one and it better be for a serious reason. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And that's a, a good point, I think, to take away is the application has to be unique, I suppose, because what must Mr. Justice Saini said in this case is that it's likely to be a common occurrence that a panel will have irrelevant, inadmissible or prejudicial material before it. And clearly, this will be a panel of professionals who are very well placed to put that out of their mind. So a kind of standard decision on a preliminary legal argument is not normally going to give rise to circumstances wherein the appeals um, tribunal procedure won't be appropriate. Yes, because it's, it's not a jury that's you know never done anything like this before where they need to be given appropriate warnings about not reading what they necessarily see in the media. There was actually a further salutary lesson for the claimants in this case because the judge was certainly scaling about the merits of the application or, or lack thereof, but they'd also, the officer failed to put before the court a pre-action letter of response from the IOPC when they were applying for temporary injunctive relief, which is naughty. You know, what, what does this tell us about the importance of candour in applications of this nature? In short, it tells us that they are very, very important. The duty of candour is exceedingly, exceedingly important and for various reasons. So I, I actually went back to my note of the judgment in this case because I don't think it, it appears in the published judgment. But on reviewing that note, I, I did think I, I remembered this from, from the judgment. Saini had said that it was wholly unacceptable for the claimant's solicitors not to put that letter before the court. And he actually went so far as to say that had the letter been put before him, on the evening that the urgent application was being made, it was highly unlikely that he would have granted the stay and the proceedings, which were meant to start on the Monday, as I mentioned, would have gone ahead. So as a result of all of that, the judge very unusually awarded costs to both the chief constable and the IOPC, and also indicated that he would entertain a written application for costs to be awarded on an indemnity basis. And so, yes, (laughs) it really hammers home the the importance of the duty of candor. From my view, essentially, the judge was saying that the entire judicial review proceedings could have been avoided had this letter been put before him. Um, And there wasn't, from memory, the solicitor involved in that case wasn't present in the court on the day. So there wasn't a a kind of explanation provided at that stage. But clearly, the, the judge wanted a full explanation and um, it's not a great position to be in yeah i mean for, for police officers and perhaps about well, practitioners will know but for certain police officers listening to this they may not be so familiar with the subject of costs in a nutshell i suppose costs are awarded against you that's serious and it's expensive if they're on an indemnity basis it's bloody expensive yeah. probably the, the <laughs> yeah. best summary and and i mean this was 
probably compounded because this was an ex parte application where one side wasn't aware or present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, from- I, th- I think they were. Um, they must have been aware because clearly the the IOPC had drafted a response, so they were aware that it was being contemplated. Whether or not they were aware that the actual application was made at the time that it was made, I'm not sure. But in any event, the only party present at that initial urgent application for injunctive relief was that were the claimants, as far as I'm aware. So we found themselves in a position they need to consider, you know, whether there's a concern that there may be bias by a panel or by a legally qualified chair. Or it, It's not just the, the merits that, that are important. It's also approaching it with that candor that the court expects so that they can make a decision based on all the facts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I mean, are there any other um, takeaways from this? Well, I think that there are a few. One of the important things, and you mentioned magistrates in, in contrast with criminal juries, I think one of the important things to remember is what this judgment confirms is that misconduct hearings are much more akin to civil tribunals rather than criminal juries. And as you've, you've noted, Daniel, I mean, a magistrate would be much more likely to put these matters out of their mind, whereas a criminal jury normally wouldn't have knowledge of the law and and might be more strongly influenced. That's clearly not the case here. The other things to note, I think we've probably already gone over these, but just to emphasize them. So firstly, as as I noted, the appeals tribunal will be considered an an available alternative statutory remedy unless some exceptional circumstances apply. The fact that a preliminary legal argument regarding admissibility or prejudice has been decided against a party is not exceptional. It's actually very commonplace and probably not going to give rise to judicial review or a good basis on which to bring judicial review. I think one of the other points to note, which we've already gone through, but again, if a tribunal has seen prejudicial material, it's likely that they're going to be able to put that out of their mind. Again, it's it's common that that will happen. And as we've already mentioned, but just again, the duty of candour is really important and it definitely applied in this case. And and you've written uh, a very helpful blog on this, which is on the UK Police Law blog site. I think there's a link to this uh, judgment as well. I think you've got quite a few helpful blogs on there. So again, anyone listening, I do urge you to go onto the UK Police Law blog. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care. Thanks, you too. Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.